Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. This Christmas, forget about you. You know, John chapter 3, verse 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Here's something interesting I want you to think about. Jesus. It says He was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. A babe. Then in Matthew 2, uh, let's get there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. All right, let's read that whole thing. Look at this. Give you a shocking, shocking piece of Scripture here. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 9. The Bible says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where, look at this, the young child was. You know, Jesus went from a babe, then He grew to a young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the manger, see, they weren't at the manger, went into the house. This is a little bit later after the manger scene. They saw, here it is again, the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus goes from a babe, he grows to a young child. And in Luke 2, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up physically in a human body. Luke 12 says, uh, here's what uh, Jesus, He says, And which of you with taking, though, can add to His stature one cubit? Stature is how you grow. Right now, can either any of us say, you know what? I want to grow two inches like that and just make ourselves do it? We can't. We can't. Luke 19, we see, we read about Zacchaeus. And what, what was it, kids? He was of little what? He was of little stature. It talks about his physical growth. That's our, that's our stature. Here's the interesting thing. In that way, we're kind of like Jesus. We went from a babe to a young child. We increased in stature. We even learned stuff. That's the physical side of life. But you know what else we all increase as life goes on? Every, every one of us, myself included, and this is why the Bible says he must increase, but I must de decrease. We all by nature increase in what? Pride. It's the heart of man. Every single one of us. We have to keep that in check. 
It starts with the word no to a little toddler. <laughs> How do they know when they hear that word, it just triggers a fit? And then it continues with, that's my toy. That's my bike. That's my stuff. None of that has to be taught. That's the pride of man. And as we get older, do we get better at it? Or do we just get better at hiding it? <laughs> Something to think about as we go through the passage, some passages this morning. See, I don't think it's not that adults can hear the word no and not throw a fit. I don't think that it's adults, they can't, they can't share their toys and not throw a temper tantrum. I just think we can hide it better. We know the expected response that we're supposed to give to people, right? It's called social mannerisms, social graces. We know what's socially accepted. And sometimes we do things to make us appear more spiritual than we actually are. And because of this, John chapter 3, verse 30, this is why John says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He must increase, I must decrease. Why does our envy grow if somebody has something we don't? Why does our jealousy grow if someone gets the promotion at work that we wanted? Why does hatred grow? Because of our prideful hearts. Has nothing to do with being a babe and growing up to be a young child, have a child, growing up in stature, becoming an adult, and getting knowledge and wisdom. We all can do that. Don't we all know lost people that are smarter than us? <laughs> we went up in a pilot's plane this last week and and my son's doing this Young Eagles program. My daughter's in the back of the plane. They got their things on. And I'm thinking, I got no control because I don't know what to do. I'm relying on somebody else. And got more wisdom in that area than I do. Right? We've all been in situations like this. But I'm not talking about these outward things. I'm talking this morning about inward things. And this is why I titled the message, This Christmas, Forget About You. This Christmas, let us forget about us. The psalm writer writes this, Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and so mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. And that's what we want. We want a silent night. We want a calm night. We want a little baby in a manger. We want the stars to be out shining bright. A little bit of snow flurries would just be beautiful. People want a nice, warm, snuggle buddy Jesus that they can share a hot cup of cocoa with. That'll sell to America. Let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 16.
Ecclesiastes 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 16. I want you to get something out of this this morning. I want to get something out of it this morning. I think we all can. People get emotionally attached. There's a lot of emotion that comes along with this Christmas time or Christmas season or Christmas day or whatever you want to call it. All the smells, all the jingles, all the sales, all the family gatherings, all the fresh baked goods. I mean, can't you just feel it? Doesn't it all feel so good? And isn't it good to get together with family? But my message this morning is I want you to forget about you. Forget about what you like. Forget about making it about you. I want me to forget about making it about me. And let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I just love the season. To everything there is a season. And a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Oh, we can actually dance in the Bible. Look at that. <laughs> Who's first? No, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Look, it's just, but the Bible does say it. All right, verse number five. And you know all the young people, they, they, they want to just wear this verse out, these modern outfits, you know. They're doing the Macarena and backflips and all kinds of stuff. That's, I mean, it's got nothing to do with glorifying God, but <laughs> hey, they got a text verse. All right, verse 5. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. War. And peacetime. Love and hate time. We so want to make this time of year about peace and joy and goodwill toward all men, and it is. Because Jesus is all of those things. But we don't get any of those things until Hatred, wrath, and anger is appeased. So I want you to take your minds and I want you to really think about it from a different perspective this morning. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse number 22. Deuteronomy 16, verse 22. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. Any image. That means all the toys, all the tinsels, all the, oh, this is the big thing. 
It's the big thing. You go through the airports, you see that. You'll see this all over. They got It's plastered all over. Apparently, Star Wars has another movie. I thought that was done in 1977. <laughs> oh, it's big. It's big. Never mind about Jesus. Never mind about why a Savior was born. Never mind with bringing up some Bible verses or some Scripture to talk about when the family gathers. I know. Let's go spend $75 and watch Star Wars. You know, because we can use the Force, never mind the Holy Spirit. And, well, it's okay. Don't worry that Princess Leia runs around in her underwear. <laughs> Our minds go off to pleasuring ourselves. Our minds go off to doing what we want to do. Man's heart. It's man's heart. The Bible says, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we have lying in a manger? A beautiful gift. What, do people, what are people going to open up in three days? Beautiful gifts. Except 2 Corinthians 5 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. You're going to take any of your precious gifts, any of our precious little toys and trinkets and worldly ornaments and turn it into sin for us? We're going to use it for our good pleasure. But that babe lying in a manger is God's gift to mankind. But mankind's mind always goes to, isn't that precious? Isn't that beautiful? And it is. It all is. But so oftentimes we forget why. Why it's precious. Why it's beautiful. Not because the night's starry and it's a nice picture on a Hallmark card. That's not why. Let's get Psalm chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 6. Psalm 5 and Proverbs 6, please. Let's glean some more truth. Psalm chapter 5, verse number 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. You ever work iniquity? Have you ever had just a hint of iniquity in your heart? God hates that. I'll say it stronger. God hates you. God hates me. Well, wait a minute. I thought He hates the sin and hates the sinner. What do you think? You take sin in a box? Put it over there and then God just condemns the box of sin? You can't separate your iniquity from you. You can't take your sin out of your heart and put it over on the side. You're directly connected to it. You know why the gift is so beautiful? Because God hates you. 
Yet God loves you. And we're going to see in a minute what he does. You can't separate yourself from sin and try to split the hair in the middle and make it like I'm still good. He just hates the sin, but he loves me. No, you got it wrong. He hates you because of sin, yet he loves you. How's that happen? Well, we're going to see it play out. Proverbs 6. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. This will preach. Verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He said, I got six. I make it. You know what? Let's make it seven. And by the way, they're an abomination. <laughs> a proud look. That would be us all. <laughs> We've all done that. A lying tongue. That would be all of us sitting here today as born again believers in Christ. We've all done that. And I think that's why God put it first because then He says, and hands that shed innocent blood. Probably nobody here has murdered anybody. But just to cover all bases, in case you haven't killed anybody, have you looked pridefully and have you ever lied? That's an abomination to God. A heart, here it is, that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, And then he's very specific. A false witness that speaketh lies. Because just in case, in verse 17, you say, well, he hates the sin and not the sinner. Okay, a false witness that speaketh lies. Is that more specific? And he that soweth discord among the brethren. You know how many times that happens? You know how many times that happens in Baptist churches? You got First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Holiness Baptist, free will, not free will, eternally willed. You get there's every adjective you can think of. You pull in the town, let's find a Baptist church. What does that mean? <laughs> there's been so much discord sown that everybody's about lost their mind. We're small in number. Let's do our best with God helping all of us to have a sweet fellowship one with another. But all this stuff has to be dealt with. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, you don't have to turn there. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You know what pilgrims are told to do? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's a pilgrim has a destination to go to. We're not wanderers. We're not just wandering around here with no... We have a destination. We have a home in heaven. That's where we're all going to be. Until we get there, we should not be warring one with another. But you know why God writes this? Because people do. Churches do. 
and all this stuff God has to deal with. The psalmist wrote, silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. I want somebody to wake up on December 24th and absolutely be quaking at the terror that could come upon them because of their sin before a holy, righteous God. I want someone to wake up and be afraid. Better yet, I want someone to wake up like the shepherds and be sore afraid. Because that baby lying in a manger has to do something for you and for me. But we just want to get back to sleeping in heavenly peace, peace and a nice little baby blue blankie for our little children to snuggle up in and all those things are precious and good and I'm not saying they're wrong and I'm not saying don't do them. Let's do all those things. But let's do this too. Mark 4 and Jonah 1 and I'll see if I can tie some of this stuff together. Mark chapter 4. And then Jonah. You go to the book of Malachi. That's if you're Italian. That's the last book in the Old Testament. And then you work back seven books and you'll find the book of Jonah. Mark chapter 4. I want you to stay with me. Verse number 35. Jesus asleep, lying in a manger. Watch where He's asleep here. Check this out. I thought this was pretty good. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. The Bible says, and the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And as he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, saying to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Jesus just taking a little nappy poo on a pillow. Disciples freaking out. He says three words, done, job finished. Everything's fine because that's who God is. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? <laughs> well, wouldn't you be? Little faith. Little faith. You should quake. I should be fearful. We should be sore afraid. Because everything isn't going to be calm in our lives until something happens to that baby.
Jesus can rest his head on that pillow and that sh- on that ship, sleep in heavenly peace. He's God. None of that stuff bothers him or affects him. He made the sea. <laughs> but the disciples, you and I, we would have something to be afraid of. The wrath of the sea will cause them to perish. The Bible says they feared exceedingly and they completely recognized that the wind and the sea obeyed Jesus like that. Now kids, pay attention. Look up here. Pay attention. Who created the sea? God did. God did. Who created the wind? God did. God did. When Jesus told the sea what to do, what did it, what did it do? Immediately obeyed. When Jesus tells you what to do, what should you do? Obey. Immediately obey. Well, my parents aren't God. You kids want to ride that one all the way to glory. Well, Jesus obeyed his parents, and his parents weren't. You imagine being Jesus' parents? They couldn't do nothing right. <laughs> that was one kid who could literally say, my parents don't never do anything right. <laughs> but that's it. Now, how many of you know more than your parents? Put your hands up because you all think you do. Jesus knew more than his parents. And you know what he did? He obeyed his parents. So, you hang your hat on, you know more than your parents. And then be like Jesus and obey your parents. But here's what I'm getting at. No matter what age you are, whether you're a young child or whether you're an adult that can hide your disobedience better, we're all under God's authority to hear a command, hear a principle, and obey that command and principle immediately. And you know what? We'll have a blessed, calm, spiritually driven life. Amen. Amen. That's good preaching right there. That's good. That's good Bible application. All right. Jonah chapter number one. I don't get any of this, brother Jimmy. What does this have to do with? Well, you'll see. You'll see. Jonah chapter number one. The world's worst preacher right here. Running from God. Now, the word of the Lord. Jonah chapter one, verse one. Came unto Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now watch what the Lord's going to do. He's going to make it feel like the whole darn ship's going to fall completely apart. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Whew! I've been in some ships. My best friends from high school, their dad had a big, big old boat. Big boat. We'd go out. You get out there three hours. You drive three hours and get out there, and, and you're going to catch some tuna, and that boat starts rocking. If you're not used to being on a ship when the seas get rough, I had a good appreciation of what it meant to be seasick. I mean, you just feel, 
Now, if you're the captain of the ship, you're, you're fine because you're used to it. You go up in the airplane, the pilot's showing you know, all the stuff you can do with the plane. I'm not comfortable with that. Plane flipping this way, plane flipping that way, dropping real quick, G-force up. Pilot's fine with it. He's used to it. He knows. You imagine being in a ship with these men where God's making it feel like the whole thing's just going to tumble? That's scary. That's scary. Verse number 5. Watch. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was going down into the sides of the ship and he lay, he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, come. Let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. They cast lots, and lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy countenance? And what, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? The men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? And the sea may be calm unto us. That's what they want. They want calm seas. That's what we want. We want calm life. The sea wrought and was temptuous. Verse 12, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. That's all they want is calmness. Have this thing calm down, please. Whatever we have to do. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, and they could not. For the sea wrought was temptuous against them. No matter what they tried to do, they weren't calming this thing down. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord, well, about time, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And this preaches, God has the power to stop the sea. Amen. Don't we serve a powerful God? It will stand still in an instant. That is Almighty God. Any of you military men, you know. Tension, they snap right to attention instantly, immediately. All God has to do, say three words, think it, just done. Instantly, all of the elements completely obey Him. Why do we have a hard time? Because we want to increase. And I'm asking us all to forget about us. Let Him increase. But I don't want you to see the power of God this morning. 
as powerful as he is, and the small glimpse that we got into that, I don't want you to fully see that this morning. That's not what the message is about. I want you to see him relinquishing his power for you and for me. That's the babe lying in a manger. There's no heavenly peace. There's no starry skies. There's no calmness. There's none of that in any of our lives spiritually unless something happens to that baby. I want you to see his innocence in the manger. I want you to see his holiness in the manger, his calmness, his tenderness, him being held close by his virgin mother. And then the silence of Christ. Because besides some crying, it's a silent baby laying there. And that's what we want, sleeping in heavenly peace. But we have a problem. None of us can stop the anger of God. Because in Mark chapter 4, if any of those disciples decided to cast themselves into the sea and to try to wrestle those waves and stop that sea from moving, they would have absolutely and definitively died in their attempt to do that. They would have been completely unsuccessful. Which is why Jesus can sleep through the storm. All he has to do is say, peace, be still. Done. You and I tried to do it. We can't. You jump in that sea and try to calm that sea down. You and I can't. The other thing, you can't stop the anger and the wrath of Almighty God. He has waged war against sin because He hates sin. What would happen if any one of us tried to jump in and calm our sin and pay for our sin and merit ourselves righteous before God because of our sin? The same thing that would have happened if one of those disciples jumped into that sea and tried to calm that sea down, they would not have been successful. And if you and I try to jump in and try to control our fate when we die by meriting ourselves with good works and trying to fix our sin problem, we can't. But God can. You can't stop the storm. And you and I can't stop the sin. We got a storm of sin in our lives. And if you're saved, God paid for it. Lost people have a storm of sin in their lives. And every day they try to jump in and calm it. And they won't be able to. And they're going to die trying. Disciples are about to die. They can't do anything about it. You and I were about to die. We couldn't have done anything about it. But what did we do? We put our faith and trust in someone that could do something about it. That's why he said to him in Mark 4, oh, you have little faith. You can't control it. You can't stop it. 
You can't control your sin. You can't stop your sin. That's why you and I and every other person on this earth needs a Savior. He's holy. He's tender. He's mild. He's all those things. But it says, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may become unto us? What does Jonah say? He says, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Jonah is cast into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. Jesus, holy infant, tender and mild, casts Himself into the sea of sin. And He takes the wrath of God upon Himself. And you know what happens? Then it is finished. Then all can be calm. And then all can be bright. God's anger is calmed. Because sin has been paid for. And if anybody else tried to jump in and get the job done, you ever run a crew of fellows to do a job? And you get some young whippersnapper that's wet behind the ears and green and the, oh, I got it. No, you don't. Just go to lunch. You don't have it. You don't. He tries to jump in and get the job done. He's going to botch the whole thing. Sin's been paid for. And this is why I compel you and I to forget about us. Why did the innocent one lay in the manger? Why was He holy? Why did a tender piece of heaven come down? So that He would cast Himself as sacrificial payment for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of the world. Who does that for somebody? You think the family drunkle that you're going to get with this week, who, you know, that's the uncle that drinks too much? <laughs> Everybody's got a drunkle, don't they? <laughs> and is just going to mess the whole party up? You think he's going to? He needs Christ. Don't forget about that person. Because there's no peace in the bottle of a bottle of Coors Light. Who's got the runkle? That's the rich uncle that nobody sees except on Christmas time because he's got a bunch of gifts to give people. And he's got everything going for him because he's got money. You know what he needs? The same thing that the drunkle needs, the runkle needs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He must be the one that increases. And you want to drive around January 2nd. You know what you're going to see on the curbside? Everybody's eternal symbols. Dead. And all the things falling off. Because it passes. 
The gifts have worn out. The iPhone gets outdated. They need another Star Wars movie. And every year people gather and it's great. But look for the one that hasn't gotten the gift which we spoke about earlier. We preached on the unspeakable gift all this month on the birth of Christ. Look for that one. Our thoughts are on Christmas trees and cookies and egg nods and exchanging gifts. And oh, don't forget, the new Star Wars movie is out. But this week alone, I've got enough sin for the Lord to just cast me into hell and be done with me. And I'm saved. I'm supposed to be a preacher. <laughs> I don't know if, if I'm doing a good job or not. God be my witness. But you're probably in the same boat. <laughs> but that's not what He's doing with us. A matter of fact, He says, yeah, I saved you, but I'll do you one better. How about I just use you for my service? And that's where most people, Christians in America, check out. Because they want the gift, but they don't want to serve the giver. So this Christmas, forget about you. Lastly, Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you and I are looking unto everything, we're not looking unto Jesus. If you and I say, oh, everything is important, man, by default, we just prove that nothing is important to us. Let's look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's let Him increase today, tomorrow, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday and Friday. Let, let's let Him increase. Because let's face it, it's a day, and it ends, and then what? It's a season, if you want to call it that, and that ends, and then what? The unspeakable gift. Let's be grateful to have the giver of that gift increase. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Thank You, Lord, for the unspeakable gift You've given us. Help us, help our hearts to be more wholly committed to You. Help us to forget about our needs and wants. Help us to want to serve You and love You more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.